Seek podcast. We are so glad you're here. I'm Erin Scanlon, your host for this season. Each week, we're sharing content that dives into the heart of the gospel, who God is, who we are, and what it means to live in relationship with Him. We're excited to walk with you as you encounter the Lord. The world crises of today are truly the crises of every generation, and they're crises of saints. These are the words of St. Maria, and they're a reminder that holiness is necessary in every age, and that we need men and women who can pave the path for others to follow Christ. So what are the virtues that we need to grow in holiness today? Who can we turn to for inspiration? Our next speaker will help us answer these questions. She's an author and musician who travels the world sharing her faith through witness and worship. You can find her at women's conferences, universities, and diocesan events across the globe. In 2020, she published her first children's book called God's Glorious Girl. She lives in Southern California with her husband, Daniel, and their sons, Zion and Jedediah. To talk to us about boldness, bravery, service, and humility, please welcome Emily Wilson. Hello, Emily Wilson Hassam here. Thanks so much for attending the SEEK conference. Wish we could be together in person, but alas, here we are. Let's get right to the point. Our world needs saints. Our culture is in desperate need of saints. And today I want to talk with you about a couple of different people who inspire me on my journey, hopefully to become a saint, be with the Lord forever, sing holy, holy, holy with the saints and angels forever. I don't know if that's what you want, but that's what I want. And I hope that's what you want too for your life. And there are four people who have taught me very specific things about the way that I can live as a Catholic young person in our world today. And I want to share their stories, which may be familiar to you, um, but I want to share their stories and their example with you today because it has inspired me greatly on my own journey. And I think that these are people for our time, examples for young people for our time. Now, a little background on myself. I was a student at Arizona State University um, quite a bit back in the day. I graduated from college about 10 years ago. And being a Catholic young person in college today is a very difficult thing to do. Being a Catholic person today in the world is a very difficult thing to do. And now that depends on your community. It kind of depends on what college you're at. It depends on what your family looks like. But all around, like it is a very challenging thing to proclaim your faith today, to share it openly today, whether that's your pro-life values, whether that's, you know, the fact that you go to mass every Sunday with people in your family who may think religion is a crazy thing. It's hard to share about it. And the first thing that I think is important for us to have is boldness and bravery. Boldness and bravery are two very important pieces of the puzzle of becoming saints and being on fire for the Lord in our world today. And the first person, her name is Esther. I don't know if you've read the book of Esther in scripture, but it's one power-packed, power, power-packed book of the Bible. And her story is a fascinating, very long and involved story. And if you're not familiar with the story of Esther, essentially the queen steps down because she refuses to be ogled at by the drunk king and his friends. And a beauty pageant of sorts is held. A modern day bachelorette, if you will. And Esther 
unbeknownst to the king that she is Jewish, is chosen to be queen. And the fact that she is a Jew must be kept a secret. Now, Esther, she lives her life as the queen uh, because of her beauty. And her uncle, Mordecai, he is part of the king's courts. And he finds out that there is this decree that's being made to have the Jews exterminated. He brings this to Esther's attention, bringing it to her attention to say, essentially, that she might be the only person who can do something about this, to, to do something to prevent this from happening to her people. The problem is that you have to, if you're going to go to talk to the king, you have to be summoned by the king. The king has to ask for you to come to see him. And it's been a very long time since the king summoned Esther, the queen, to talk to him. The other problem is that if you went to the king without being summoned, you risked being killed right then and there. You risked death in that moment. And so Esther knows this. And she takes this all into account and she says she she weighs all her options and says i know what i have to do to save my people like it is in this moment up to me to do something about this and do i risk my life by going to the king to say hey king can we have a conversation or i need to talk to you about something yes but it's worth it this is something that i have to do no matter the cost. And in scripture, in Esther chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Go gather all the dues to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day, and I and my maids will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. And when I sit with this scripture and I imagine Esther in this incredible moment for her and for her people, I imagine her saying it with real clarity and confidence to say, if I perish, I perish. Not as a flippant thing, not as a like whatever thing, but as a factual thing. If I perish, I perish. If he kills me because I have come to have this conversation with him, he kills me because I've come to have this conversation with him, but I have to do something and I'm going to do it. And this steadfast bravery is an, is an essential piece of yours and my life as a Catholic young person today. And our response must echo hers. Our response has to echo Esther's to say, if I perish, I perish. And I have to have and, and pray for that same confidence in my life and in my life of faith to say, you know, I haven't looked death in the face and you may not have looked death in the face. I imagine you haven't looked death in the face because of your views, because of your values. But we look laughter in the face and persecution in the face and all different kinds of other things in the face that are very challenging, being, you know, ostracized, being, you know, made fun of in our families and our groups of friends, whatever that might be. And we have to get to this place and pray for this place of confidence to say, if they laugh at me, they laugh at me. If this person attacks me for my views, this person attacks me for my views. If this person thinks X, Y, or Z about me because I proclaim my faith, so be it. 
there is nothing I would rather be doing than proclaiming my faith and living for my faith at all costs. And that's what Esther showed us how to do with that boldness and with that bravery to say, this is what it is and I have a choice to make here. What choice am I gonna make? To proclaim the good news, right, in my life and in the world today or not? And so Esther goes to the king and she has that conversation with him. She is not killed and the Jewish people are saved. And perhaps you've heard the, ter- the, the scripture that is very common that people use in different circumstances and they don't um, use you know exactly the scripture that it was. Perhaps you were made for such a time as this. And that is what is said to Esther in this moment, in this time. And that's the reality of your life today is that you as a young person who holds the truth in your hands, the truth of Jesus Christ, the truth of the Catholic Church, You hold that in your hands and you were made for such a time as this to proclaim the good news to your friends, to your family, to help that, to to, to be a part, an instrument of the Lord, setting people free from the chains that bind them, especially people, our peers, young people in our culture today. Esther's story goes hand in hand with another story that I love, and that's the story of Saint Jose Sanchez del Rio. You might be familiar with the story of his life, but it's pretty incredible. When in the early 1900s, the Cristero War broke out in Mexico, and this, it was this movement to eliminate the Catholic Church. They were killing Catholic priests and taking over Catholic churches. It was a very, very, very ugly and evil time. And when Jose, this young boy, he wanted to join the rebel army and he asked his mom if he could do that. And she said, you can join, but you can't carry a gun. You can carry a flag. So he joins the rebel army and their battle cry, which you might've heard before and might be familiar with is Viva Cristo Rey, long live Christ the King. And so Jose joins the rebel army to fight back against this movement, to eliminate the Catholic church, to fight for his faith, to fight for what he believes in. And ultimately he's imprisoned for, he's, he's captured because he's a part of the rebel army. He's imprisoned in a Catholic church and I can only imagine what it's like to be imprisoned in a Catholic church. He's imprisoned with uh, other people there, one boy, especially there with him. Jose is tortured again and again, and his captors tell him, if you renounce your faith, if you say death death to Christ the King, we will let you go. We will stop torturing you. And Jose says again and again, I will never give in. I will never renounce my faith. Viva Cristo Rey. Long live Christ the King. It is gross, but it is true. The bottom of his feet are skinned and he's made to walk in the dirt roads in Mexico. I cannot imagine how excruciating that kind of pain is. Just think about that for one second. It's, you, we think, oh, it's so gross, but this man, it is what he went through, this boy, walking through the dirt roads, tortured. And his captors say to him, Jose, just renounce your faith. I get emotional thinking about this young man. Just renounce your faith. Just give in. And he said, I will never give in. Viva Cristo Rey. Ultimately, he, is a mar- he becomes a martyr for the faith. And the young boy that he, he is in prison with 
is killed as an example to Jose of what will happen to him. And he says to that young boy, he's quoted as saying, tell Christ the King, I'll be with him soon. Knowing what would happen to him, that he would die for his faith and become a martyr for the faith. He was 14 years old when he died. And I look at his story and this boldness and this bravery that Esther had, right? Esther did not die for the movement that she made, that she knew she had to do. Jose did. But both of them teach us how to live this fearlessness in faith, this boldness in faith. Jose dies for his faith as a boy of 14, is tortured again and again. And how often are we just embarrassed to talk about our faith? How often we're like, it's just so hard to follow the Lord. It's just so hard to follow him. You know, like I have to do all these things, right? And I have to go to mass on Sunday. Like what a pain, not a pain, a joy, a gift to be able to serve the Lord, to be able to go to mass every single day, to be a witness for Jesus Christ and his church, right? And all these times where, where we feel lazy or we're embarrassed or we're ashamed of our faith or we think, oh my gosh, if one more person in my family attacks me for being Catholic, I, I just don't think I could take it anymore. We look to Jose's example, Saint Jose Sanchez del Rio, to say if he can have his feet skinned and walk in the streets in Mexico, I can live my faith in this day and age. I can do it. I can do it. And that is what the Lord says to each of us, that Esther and Jose, these are examples of this boldness and this bravery that is a part of the life of a saint, right? Whatever that looks like. And so for you, I invite you to look at their lives to say, the life of Esther and the life of Jose, how can I live that kind of boldness and bravery in my own life today? Lord, where are you calling me to be that fearless, to step up in that radical way in my family, in my community, in my college, wherever that might be, where are you calling me to do it? And then to respond, right? The Lord can say, I'm calling you to bravery and boldness here. We say, oh, Lord, that's great. Wonderful. I'm glad you're calling me there and not do anything about it, or we can respond, which is what the Lord invites us to do. The Lord gives us an invitation. Response is our part of that. Listening is a key part of that equation, but a response is warranted for Christ's death on the cross for us to say, if Christ died for me, if young men like Jose, if Esther can go to the king and risk her life for what she knows she needs to do, I can do it too. Perhaps you were made for such a time as this, and I know that you were. What are the other key components to a life of sainthood, right? Becoming a saint is service. And one of the people in this day and age who showed us so beautifully what it means to serve the Lord is Mother Teresa. And I think a lot of times when we look at sainthood, it's, oh, it's super overwhelming. It's this big thing like, oh, sainthood is this like unattainable big thing. You think of St. Therese and Padre Pio and, you know, people were so, so holy. And you think, I could never get there. I'll never get there. When the Lord is calling us to take it one day at a time and serve him one day at a time. And I think when we look at the life of someone like St. Teresa of Calcutta, we think, 
she, there's no way I could attain holiness like that. Like her in the slums of India, caring for the wounds of, of what people will call so disgusting and so gross. But people who were in need, so desperate, so alone, just lying in the streets that St. Teresa went there to care for them, to love them, to pick them up, to be there for them. And she has a beautiful quote that I love so much that you might have heard before. And I want to read that to you. She says, stay where you are, find your own Calcutta. Find the sick, the suffering, and the lonely right there where you are in your own homes and in your own families, in your workplaces, and in your schools. You can find Calcutta all over the world if you have the eyes to see. Everywhere, wherever you go, you find people who are unwanted, unloved, uncared for, just rejected by society, completely forgotten, completely left alone. And this is such a powerful thing that I want you to tuck into your heart forever when we think about becoming saints, finding your own Calcutta. That the Lord is going to call each and every single one of us to a different life of service to Him. And that's the beauty of vocation in the Catholic Church, is service to Him looks a million different ways. One million, two million, three million different ways. And the Lord is asking you to find the place in your life where Calcutta is, where there are people in desperate need of the name of Jesus, of the good news proclaimed to them. And that might be in your family. And that might be in your college. It might be in your sorority or your fraternity, in your dorm, wherever that might be, the Lord is calling you there. And he's calling you to have the eyes to see that he might not be calling you to a third world country to serve him. He might not be calling you to a missionary year or two, or he might be after college or during college. He might be, he might not. But that this is not the only way to serve him. That there are people in our culture, in your college, so desperately in need of the love of God. And that the Lord has you there for such a time as this to share the good news of the gospel with those people, to share the good news of Jesus Christ, of his mercy, of his love, of his power, and the love that he has for them, specifically for them, not just an all, Jesus loves everybody kind of thing, but specifically for them and for their hearts. Now, the first step is realization of that to say, Lord, where is my Calcutta in my life? Is it my sorority? Is it my family? Where is it? And for the Lord to reveal that to your heart, right? To stay where you are and to take, have new eyes to see how the Lord is calling you to love because that is the road to sainthood. Every day saying, Lord, how can I love and serve you today? How can I love and serve your people today? And responding and doing just that. So I encourage you to look at service in that way, right? That to, to have these new eyes to see. There are Calcuttas all over the world, as she says. Where is mine? And how is the Lord calling me to enter into that Calcutta? Maybe even the ugliness of it. Maybe even the, the parts of it that people just look away and think, oh my gosh, no way. No way am I going to get even close to that. I'm going to step into that and love those people. 
for a long time for me, my Calcutta was teenage girls, which is a group that a lot of people think, oh my gosh, there, there's just so much drama and emotion, right? A lot of people, I, I joke with people that a lot of people run away from like, you know, 14 and 15 year old angsty kind of girls. Right? I'm not saying all teenage girls are angsty, but these girls who have a lot of things going on and emotions and, you know, are just becoming women and figuring life out, I run toward them to say, I want to be like, be here with you in the midst of the mess that it is to be a teenager in our culture today. And I want to walk with you. And for a long time, I was a campus minister at a high school. And that was my Calcutta was to walk with these girls every single day um, in the joy of their life, in the mess of their life, in the joy of some of their decisions and in the mess of a lot of their other decisions that they brought to me to talk through and talk over to walk with them. That was Calcutta. And that's not something a lot of people would see. You know, that's totally different than what St. Mother Teresa said, like did. Being in the slums of India is certainly not being at a, you know, preppy Catholic high school. But to be there and to be with those people who are in need of Jesus Christ, that's where the Lord is calling me. And that he's, he has a very, very same invitation to you in a life of service to him. And your Calcutta will change at, at different points in your life. I'm not at that high school anymore. I don't not, I no longer teach there anymore. My Calcutta is different at different seasons and it will be for you as well. I have a small Calcutta in my home now, uh, caring for my two sons. I have one son who is two, one son who is four months old and caring for them, the, the needs of their hearts, proclaiming Jesus Christ to them every day in the ways that little children receive that. That's my Calcutta today in a way. So I invite you to ask the Lord, where is my Calcutta? Where are you asking me to serve you more deeply and serve you with a heart full of love? Yes, indeed, by being born to this earth, you are called to love and serve God. And the last person I want to talk about that, we've been over Esther, Jose, Teresa. And the last person I want to talk about is Andrew. Not a lot of people talk about St. Andrew. And he, you know, he's a really interesting, amazing saint and character that we find, a person that we find in these stories in scripture, in these beautiful accounts in the gospels of Jesus's life. Now, Andrew uh, followed, St. Andrew was first a follower of John the Baptist, right? He follows John the Baptist and follows his teachings and ultimately John the Baptist leads him to the Lamb of God leads him to Jesus Christ. St. John the Baptist was so good at that, pointing people to say, he is the one, he is the Messiah. And the beautiful thing about St. Andrew is that a lot of people don't know that he was Peter's brother. That Simon Peter, one of the most well-known, well is his brother, is something that a lot of people overlook, a lot of people don't know. And Andrew is searching and hungry for the truth. He's a young man searching, hungry for the truth. And ultimately he comes to find it uh, in Jesus and recognizes him as the Messiah. And one of the biggest pieces of the puzzle is that Andrew introduces his brother, Peter, to Jesus. He introduces him to Jesus and they follow him for a while. And then they go back to their lives as fishermen, the lives that they know so well. And one day a shadow comes over them and it's the shadow of Jesus. And he says, follow me follow me. He makes this, this command, this invitation all wrapped up into one to say, follow me, drop everything to follow me. And they do. 
And the thing about Andrew is that he is kind of always just seen introducing people to Jesus. He's not this great preacher that Simon Peter was. He's not, you know, this this charismatic guy who, you know, uh, who has all these things going on and is making these great preachings. We don't hear about Andrew doing that. But we know that Andrew is amazing at introducing people to Jesus from a few points in scripture. In John chapter 6 verse 9, the crowds are gathered and the crowds are hungry. This is John's account of the feeding of the 5,000. Who knows about the boy with the fish? It's Andrew. Why? Because he was talking to people. Because he loved introducing people to Jesus. In John chapter 12, the Greeks come and ask Philip to see Jesus. And who does Philip defer to? He defers to Andrew. Because Andrew was great at introducing people to Jesus. And he did not have a care in the world whether he was known or not. He's often referred to as Peter's brother. And it's such a beautiful example, Andrew's example of humility, of being so obsessed with just getting people to know Jesus that nothing else matters, that nothing else matters. And what I was, I was raised in a Catholic family. My mom converted to the faith, uh, the Catholic faith when she was six months pregnant with me. And my parents loved and served the Lord throughout my time as a young child. They were part of the prayer group. They led the prayer group for a very long time at our church. And being a part of that prayer group, like serving with my mom and dad, I got to see and be a part of so many of the little things that come along with serving the Lord. My dad calls it the ministry of chair folding, the ministry of St. Andrew, the ministry of chair folding, which is the ministry of all of the unseen people who make something like this happen. This conference happen. The, the people who make uh, ministry nights at a parish were called chair folding because when we were young, we would go and we would set up all the chairs with my mom and dad for all the people to come and sit and do their prayer and the whole night. And then we would take them down and put them away when the night was over. And it's the ministry of chair folding because it's like the ministry that isn't glorified. That people don't really pay attention to. Because everyone thinks the person with the microphone is, you know, the holiest person in the room. And, you know, they, they praise that, right? Oh, it's so great and so wonderful. And it is. When it's anointed by the Lord, it is to be the person holding the microphone. But there are all these pieces to the puzzle that have to happen in order for service and love of God to happen. And Andrew introduced people to Jesus, whatever that looked like, whether, you know, in modern day, filling the coffee pots, stuffing the name tags, folding the chairs, putting all the cables in so the band can do the night of worship. I mean, there's one million different examples. And Andrew could not have cared less if he was doing ministry today. If people are like, oh, thanks, Andrew, you're so great. Like you're serving the Lord so great. He didn't care as long as people got to know Jesus. And that, my brothers and sisters, is what we need to step into. That it's not about us. And Andrew shows that with dazzling humility. Is that we should be so obsessed with bringing people to the Lord that nothing else matters. And it, at times, certainly, it can be hard when you put so much into a retreat 
or a night of worship or for your group Bible study or you're trying to start a pro-life club on your campus or you're starting to, you know, trying to start a Bible study in your fraternity or sorority and it just feels like impossible. It's hard. And when no one's saying you're doing a great job, like thanks for serving the Lord in this way, it can be difficult. In our humanity, it can be hard. The Lord invites us into a place where we say to him, Lord, I want to be so obsessed with bringing people to you that nothing else matters to me. Whether people thank me, who cares? Whether people know my name, who really cares? No matter what, I want to bring people to you in humility. That it is not my name or my acclaim or whatever it is that I want. That I want to bring you fame. To bring people to know your name. To bring people to glorify you in all they do. And see the beauty of that. Andrew taught us how to do just that with such grace to play the second fiddle to his brother and say, Peter, great. You keep on doing your thing. I'm just going to keep introducing to people to Jesus. We have different gifts and that's an amazing thing. And we're both bringing people to the Lord in our own ways. And that's what the Lord is calling you and I to in humility and service and love to say, I want to be obsessed with bringing people to Jesus because there are a lot of things that we can be obsessed with in this day and age, all different kinds of things to be obsessed with bringing people to Jesus in the most holy of ways is what we are called to do. And boy, have I made a mess of that on so many occasions in my life. But to recommit to that again and again, to say, Jesus, in humility, at all costs, I want to make your name known in my life and in this world, that I may be a saint who, at the end of my life, is welcomed in to my heavenly home to sing holy, holy, holy for all eternity. That's what I want. And that's what I want for you. And when we step into this bravery and this boldness, this idea of service and what it looks like for me here now, for you, where you are right now, and this idea of humility, this virtue that we can live with total, just abandon, abandon to the Lord's will in our lives, to live all of those different things, to strive for sainthood. So how is the Lord asking you to live that out in your life? That is up to you to find out. And then I invite you to dive into that this weekend to say, Lord, where are you calling me to step into these things more fully in my life, more deeply in my life, more beautifully in my life so that I can become a saint, whatever you want to be the patron saint of, hopefully one day, may it be the Lord's will for your life that you become a saint whether known or unknown, by the ways that you woke up, you and I woke up to love and serve God day in and day out with boldness and bravery, in service and in humility all the days of our lives. So let's pray. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, you have given us such beautiful witnesses and examples of what it means to walk the path of holiness and of sainthood. I thank you for the examples of Esther, of Jose, of Teresa and Andrew, four people who became saints by their willingness to love you and serve you in all things. Make us bold, Lord. I ask that you enkindle in our hearts a love for you 
and a desire to be brave in our culture and in our world, to proclaim your name, to proclaim the good news, to be a part of setting hearts free from the chains that enslave them today. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for being our peace every step of the way as we strive for sainthood. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. What a joy it is to be with you here at this conference. Praise God for all of the people in the Ministry of Chairfolding who made this happen. Wish once again we could be together, but praise God for the gift of technology that we've been able to be together in this way. Thanks so much for watching, and have a great rest of your conference. Thank you, Emily, and thank you, Francis Core, for sponsoring this impact session. Francis Core is an experience of gospel life through a year of Franciscan service, intentional community, and faith formation. I'm so struck by the gift that we have in the church of the lives of the saints. For every virtue, as we heard, there's someone that we can turn to to give us witness. Today, I was particularly inspired by the call to service. I love the question that Emily invites us to ask, Lord, where is my Calcutta? And while the answer will probably change over time, I'm walking away, at least today, with the reminder that the road to sainthood is asking, how can I love and serve the Lord one day at a time? Emily has an awesome yearly devotional for women called Awaken My Heart that just came out this past fall. It takes you through 52 weeks of prayer and thanksgiving. Check it out and visit her website also at emwilsonmusic.com. Thanks for listening, friends. To hear more content from speakers like this, join us for Seek 23 in St. Louis, January the 2nd through the 6th. Visit seek.focus.org to learn more.